Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson. I'm here tonight with Chris uh, Klein, as well as our technical support, Uri Young. Hey guys, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing good, Lucas. How are you? I'm excited to hear your input on all these great topics that you guys have tonight. So it's, it's going to be a good pod tonight. Let's do it. Most definitely. And uh, I got to give a shout out to Chris because, to be honest, I was drawing a blank for this episode. So Chris came up, uh, Chris and Uriah came up with some great subjects. So Chris is going to get into our first one here. And this one was actually thought up because of Uriah. But go ahead and take it away, Chris. Yeah, again, credit to uh, Uriah for, for coming up with this one. But we're going to start off with some talk about the NBA in Orlando, as has been the custom the past couple of weeks. Um, we're going to talk about crowd noise, which has been kind of, a, you know, it's a bit of a niche subject, but it, it's an interesting one to talk about. It's going to affect, of course, the Sixers, who are one of the best home teams in the league and one of the worst road teams still left playing basketball this season. So so it could have a particularly may, big impact on them. Uh, but Mark Cuban, the owner, of course, of the Dallas Mavericks, suggested that the NBA maybe pump in fan noise um, through an app in which fans can contribute their own, you know, sounds and cheers uh, uh, to, to, I guess, a stream of sorts. Um, we've seen soccer leagues around the world using cardboard cutouts in the stands and pumping in fan noise of their own. And, you know, there are also leagues just playing in quiet arenas. So there, there are different, different approaches to this. I'll let you answer this one, Lucas, just straight up. How do you feel first off about Mark Cuban's suggestion? And then how do you think the NBA should go about this? So uh, before I get into it, I got a note. I believe it was somewhere. I believe it was in Japan that they had stuffed or Korea. It was one of those two countries that they had uh, stuffed animals in the stance of a baseball game, which mm-hmm. I found hilarious. And if I don't think the NBA will do that, but that would be that that would just be hilarious for me. But the idea behind the app itself is interesting. I feel like there would be a lot of there could be a lot problems with it most likely i would assume that based off of what we've heard thus far it sounds like cuba wants these apps to have like live reactions during the game and i feel like any app especially a new app would have some type of delay between the fans making you know recording their responses versus when it actually hits the sound on the tv or in this in the arenas that they're going to be playing in. So I don't like that idea. Uh, there has been an idea floating around that I do like, and it's been on ESPN multiple times through different podcasts and TV shows uh, on ESPN. But the idea is basically to mic up the players, maybe have the the you know TV on like a thirty second delay so that they can censor out any uh, you know swear words. But the the idea is because these arenas are going to be relatively quiet these players can be mic'd up and you can hear a lot of the trash talking and the, you know, communication during these games. And I, I think with the limitations that, well, the fact is that there is going to be no fans. I think that would be a fun little twist here that the NBA could definitely put in. Yeah. I I, I think your, your point about micing up the players is an interesting one, one though. I, I do think it's a bit of a complex issue just because of, you know, the rules and regulations of TV broadcasts. 
you mentioned like a tape delay. I just don't know how effectively that would play, um, given that, you know, the player's dialogue might not line up with the big moments um, on screen. But that, that that's definitely one that I would be comfortable looking into because I, I do think that's going to be more compelling than just fake crowd noise. I, I don't really see the value in that either for the teams um, or for the fans watching at home. I, I just don't think it really adds anything. I think it'd be better off with something Uriah mentioned before the show. They could just play music in between plays, have a DJ in the building like they do, um, you know, at various arenas around the league and just have that be, be the noise that kind of accompanies the game or we can just have a quiet gym. I, I think either of those would work just fine. But yeah, as far as just purely fake and crowd noise, uh, I don't really see the point. But but going back to your point about the stuffed animals, I'm 100% in favor of filling up these <laughs> Disney World things with like Mickey Mouse stuffed animals and just having Mickey Mouse and Goofy watching on these games. I, I'd be 100% down for that. Yes, please let that happen. That will That will be so great for everybody involved. And you know what? You could do like the new movies, like for the little kids. Like you could get the frozen characters in there, or I'm trying to think of other like. Yeah, I, I mean they have they own Pixar, so there's like twenty something Pixar movies to choose from. Mm-hmm. You got the Avengers, Star Wars. I mean, Disney owns what? basically half the entertainment industry. So there's. I, I okay, so you know how Disney has all these people dressed up as the characters, right? Spoilers for kid, children listening. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> What if the, the, these people, the, the actors dressed up as these characters come and watch the game? I don't know the if that would destroy that the is they would like, Yeah, it might, it might break the quarantine there. I, I don't know quite how that would work. Unless we're going to like quarantine Goofy with all the NBA players. Well, I know that but, most you know, of... I, I've, I've had friends that work there, and most of these actors live on Disney property. So. Oh, well, hey, there you go. It could work. I'm not sure. Yeah. It, it's it's a fun idea. And yeah. going back, I just want to make a point on this. When I say a tape delay for the audio, I also mean the video feed as well. So it wouldn't be okay. a live it wouldn't be a live action game. It wouldn't be up to the second live. It would be like thirty second delay so that the, the audio and the visual would match up. But yeah. you know that I works. think that could work. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, I think I. You know what? We need to contact Disney and see if they can have their actors come in and be too. Could Could you guys see like Hercules cheering for Joel Embiid? I'm just saying that would be pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's not the only thing that we need to talk about in regards to Disney. The return to Disney. Um, the idea of Ben Simmons, his back injury. You know, we didn't think he was going to be available for the playoffs. Now it looks like he is, but. You know, Chris, you wrote an article recently about this, and you know, so it's a good point that I think needs to be made is that, and I believe Brett Brown recently somebody reported, and I can't remember, maybe you can remind me, Chris, but somebody recently reported that Brett Brown's not planning on having Simmons come in and play 30 minutes, 35 minutes back in back to back games right away. So, can you elaborate a little bit on that? You know, what exactly should we expect from Simmons in these scrimmages? You know, what should his workload be in the regular season? Season? Can you give us some backstory on that, Chris? Yeah. So just like you said, Brett Brown essentially said that they're going to inch Ben Simmons back into play. They aren't going to give him a full workload right away. 
Um, and as far as the structure at Disney right now, the plan is, I believe, to have three scrimmages um, between teams that are staying in the same hotel before, of course, they move into the eight regular season games and then the postseason. So that will presumably give Ben 11 games to get into shape. And, you know, basically a month-long training camp, plus 11 games, three of which don't count at all, to get into shape and, and you know, get, get back to full speed. So I would assume that by the time the playoffs hit, assuming there are no setbacks, he'd be good to go. But um, I'm all in favor of taking, you know, the most cautious route possible um, with him just because backs are tricky and he's so important to the Sixers' success. As much as we've talked about it on this podcast and on the site, I don't think there's a huge difference between playing Boston and Miami in the first round in terms of the Sixers' chances. I do think the Celtics are a marginally better matchup, but I don't think the Sixers are favorites either way. And I, I, I don't think Miami's, you know, I don't think they match up particularly well either, um, just personnel-wise. So, so I don't think the Sixers... The Sixers are either going to, you know, lose big time in the first round anyways, or they're going to be better than we all expected. We really don't know at this point. You know, point being, I would expect Simmons to be good by the playoffs. So I, I think they should just take it as slow as they need to up until that point. I think you make a valid point. And I think going to your idea of seedings, I think in the long run, yeah, it would probably be better for the Sixers to play against the uh, Celtics. I'm a little bit more in favor of, I think that I, I, I'm higher on the Sixers' chances to beat the Celtics in the first round than you are. But at the same time, I understand because Jason Tatum's monster, Kevin Walker's an all-star. Jalen Brown's an emerging all-star. Gordon Hayward might not be an all-star anymore, but gosh, he is still a valuable wing player at this point in his career. I understand that, the you know, in terms of perimeter play, the Celtics clearly have the edge, but... I just I like I like Joel Embiid going to town against the Celtics. He's shown that he can do it this season. Unless the Celtics somehow pull off a DeMarcus Cousins signing, which I don't think they can or will. I I, I don't see this happen. I don't see it being a, a first round exit, though it could happen. In terms of Ben Simmons, I I like your your philosophy about just taking it slow. I think that's the right. Uh, course of action and honestly I think I think we both agree unless Brett Brown gets to at least the conference finals if not the NBA finals it's going to be hard to see him making a uh, making a comeback next year as the head coach of the Sixers so I think you don't want to jeopardize Ben Simmons's health to try to save save Brett Brown's job Mm -hmm. so I think in that regard taking it slow with Ben is probably the best call, especially if, for example, Joel Embiid's not in the best of shape either. Yeah, I think the value of making sure Simmons is healthy and 100% in the playoffs you know, is going to exceed the very small difference, again, in my opinion, between like a Boston or Miami matchup. We've all said on this podcast that we would prefer Boston. The Sixers are right now slated to play Boston. They're the three seed. The Sixers are the six seed. So if they bench Ben or they bring him in slowly, they only play him 20 minutes a night and they lose a few extra games, they're going to play Boston anyway. So if that's the ideal matchup, then, you know, what, what's holding them back from, from giving him some extra rest? Uh, but, I mean, even if, again, if they play Miami, as 
agreed as Bam Adebayo is, he hasn't really done much of anything against Joel in the past. Joel is just bigger and more physical. Um, they're just different players, and that's not the kind of matchup where Adebayo's defensive prowess is, is at its peak. So either way, the Sixers are going to have the advantage in that respect. I, I'm just not sure if it's enough for them to win based on their inconsistencies everywhere else. But but with regards to Simmons, I'm totally fine with him playing, you know, somewhere in the mid-20s in terms of minutes every night, resting every other game, whatever they feel is necessary to to make sure he's at full strength. So, so two things based off of what you said. We all favor Boston because we know for a fact Miami's going to throw out a zone against the Sixers. Brad Stevens, the Boston's head coach, he's not stupid either. What if he throws a zone out at at the Sixers? That could throw a monkey wrench in everything that we thought that we have the advantage because zone essentially limits post play, and you have to be a you know elite three point shooting team, which the Sixers have proven that percentage wise they are, but not necessarily in terms of uh, volume. Mm-hmm. So I think. You know, and I just thought of it while you were saying it, but there's a good chance whoever we face is going to throw a zone at us at some point. I, I think, regardless, as you said, whoever the Sixers face is going to, pull, you know, pull out every trick in the book uh, to to take and beat out of the game. It's probably going to include a zone, and that's where guys like Shake Milton, you know, Furkan Korkmaz, Alec Burks, the, those newer additions, that's where they're really going to have to step up, step in. Uh, you know, if Shake is the fifth starter, this is something we'll talk about here very soon. Uh, we're going to talk about these wings in depth, but that's something they're going to have to face either way. And that that's where Brett Brown's creativity and where the other pieces on the roster really just need to, you know, come into play and step up. So, yeah, you're right. And then the other thing that I thought about here in terms of how do I put this? In terms of Simmons, and I think resting him 20 minutes a game, I think that gives us a better chance to see what Shake Milton can be with the rest of the starters. Granted, it would be nice to see what he can do more with Ben, but, you know, that's what just Brown has to really push for in those 20 minutes that, you know, let's say 20 minutes uh, that Ben is on the floor. But when Ben's not on the floor and Shake is, Shake has to build that chemistry with Embiid, with Harris with Richardson I think that's going to be important and having the ball in Jake's hand as much as possible during the regular season I think is going to be a positive yeah for sure I I think Shake is one of the biggest x-factors on this team in general and again we're right we're we're about to talk about him um in, in some depth here but this is it's really just going to come down to how everyone outside you know beyond Joel adjusts to to those um, different coverages and those different schemes that other teams throw out because it's what we saw last year. It's what we've seen time and time again. Joel is the guy that defenses are going to target. They're going to make Ben try to beat them, and they're going to make other players on the roster try to create. Tobias has to step up. Josh has to step up. That's that's just the only path to victory. It, it can't be all on Joel, um, no matter how good he is, or, or the Sixers just aren't going gonna to make it. I think you hit it all right on the head there. And I think you, you you gave us a good segue here to talk about some of the other perimeter players that the Sixers have here. 
So do you want to go ahead and uh, break that down for us a little bit, Chris? Yeah, I think now's as good a time as any to talk about the wing rotation. I think that's one of the biggest questions facing this team um, as the, the restart of the season looms is just how exactly Brett Brown's um, per- perimeter rotation is going to function around the core. I think we're going to maybe start this conversation by getting into whether or not we think Shake Milton is going to be the fifth starter or not. Um, and that will kind of determine where we go from here. But we're going to talk specifically about Shake, Matisse Thibel, Furkan Korkmaz, Glenn Robinson III, and Alec Burks. Those guys are all kind of in the same pool competing for minutes around, you know, Joel, Al, Josh, and Tobias. So I'll let you go first, Lucas. First, A, do you think Milton is going to be the fifth starter? And depending on that answer, how do you maybe see the rest of this group shaking out? Okay, so this is where I've been torn because me and you both think Shake Milton should be the fifth starter. And by all counts, if it was the regular season and we still had the same amount of games, would most likely be the full-time starter. But it's not. We get a short window with, as you said, 11 games, three of which don't count before the um, playoffs. And Brett Brown has shown a propensity to go with what he's comfortable with versus more of what's necessarily the best. I think that's fair to say about Brett. So in that regard, it makes me question, will Brett make the right decision to start Shake Milton? I think both of us agree that he, he should, but that's one of those coaching questions that you have to ask. Do you think Brett Brown is going to feel comfortable enough putting Shake Milton in the starting five with these other, you know, with Ben, Tobias, Josh, and Joel? I don't know. I can't. I would hope so, but at the same token, Brown has shown a propensity to go with guys that he's more comfortable with and that he knows that what they can bring versus, you know, bringing in an X factor. Yeah, and I think I just want to jump in here with I think the main rebuttal to that point is going to be I believe they're going to at least have a few weeks of training camp that they don't normally have midseason. So if Brown is going to make that switch, you know, he's going to have at least a few weeks to kind of work with it in practice. So that might be kind of an ideal opportunity for him uh, to kind of toy with that. But but I do think you bring up a good point where, where we have seen Brett kind of um, revert to his, his comfort zones in the past when, when under pressure. Uh, so and, and, I do think these circumstances are, are, you know, make that a valid point. And then just to bring up another point to counteract that point, both Brett Brown and Elton Brand have said this roster was built to play in the playoffs. That means that they believe that Al Horford, at least in the past, and especially during the preseason, that they think Al Horford, and we'll get to him later on because we we got a whole entire area dedicated to him, but I just want to say this. They believe that Al Horford in the starting five is a good playoff lineup. So I honestly think this training camp will be a big indicator of whether or not Shake will start. Now, I think I'm going to go off my, my gut and say that Shake Milton should start and will end up starting. But honestly, I can't say that for certainty now. Mm-hmm. But based off of that, you still have – because, okay, let's just say for argument's sake that Shake Milton starts. Al Horford's your big off the bench. That means no – I don't see – I would think that – and I wrote about this. I don't think Mike Scott's going to be in the 
playoff rotation now if you have Al Horford as your big because you're not going to play Al Horford just 10 minutes a night during the playoffs as ben, uh, Joel's substitute. You're going to have to play him as a power forward next to Joel sometimes too. And we've seen in some small spurts that work with Ben off the floor. So we'll see what happens there. I don't think Mike Scott's coming in because I don't think he wants to sac- play Mike Scott over any of these three other – well, technically four other perimeter guys. I think Alex Burks is your playmaker off the bench. So I think Alex Burks is a solid uh, lock for that because I, I think you still want a you know, guy that can create his own shot off the dribble in the second unit, and Alex Burks is the only guy that can reliably do that. Unless, you know, they sign Trey Burke, which you, you've mentioned before in articles, but I don't think that happens. But you know, Alec Burks is this, I think he's a lock. And then you go down th- to these three guys. You have Matisse Leibold, he's defensive specialist. You have Corkon Corkmaz, spark plug off the bench, a little streaky liability defensively. And then you have Glenn Robinson, not not an elite 3 and D player, but he definitely fits the mold. He, you know, he's not proficient in either category, especially since he's been on the Sixers. But you know, he's a solid two, two-way player, but he's not going to, like, he might go, occasionally go off, but he's not, like, he he's most likely going to get you single digits most nights. But he's reliable, and he's the most experienced out of those three players. So, we know Brown goes for veterans. But, you know, there's also been some friction between Brown and Glenn Robinson in terms of Robinson not knowing his role. And then on top of that, let's be real, both Matisse Thibel and Forkan Korkmaz have a much more polished history with Brown than Robinson does. So, And I wrote about this in the past, Chris. I think for at least during the eight regular season games, possibly during the scrimmage games too, Brown should hold a tournament like he did last year between James Ennis, Jonathan Simmons, and Korkmaz. Korkmaz got injured early on in that, Tournament. So it was really between Simmons and Ennis, and we all know that Ennis's three-point shooting and offensive rebounding won out over Simmons's uh, Jonathan Simmons's whatever he brings. <laughs> yeah, whatever he he was supposed to bring defense, but that didn't happen. Yeah, so whatever whatever he he was. <laughs> yeah. So and, and you know what? He's playing in the TBT this this year. He didn't play in the NBA. He's going to be playing in the TBT. So that just shows you how quickly he phased out of the NBA. Mm-hmm. Not no, not to disparage him, of course, but my point still stands. Um, so that's what I think should happen with that wing rotation. I can't give you an honest. I think these these eight regular season games are going to be pivotal for Brown to figure out who he can trust in a playoff setting. Yeah, I I think I agree with you on just about every front. I I too think. My gut says that Shake will start. It seems like that's the direction things are heading. We don't really know for sure. We know that Brett has, has kind of held that hope on, on Al in the past. But uh, I think the Sixers are going to end up moving him to the bench. That that still seems like obviously the best move at this point. And I think Shake has earned that fifth spot. So assuming that Shake is getting starters minutes, and the question really just comes down to how, how the rest of that rotation is going to uh, shake out. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, it's okay. It's not intentional. But um, <laughs> I think there's a decent chance that 
you know, all four of the other guys are going to get minutes in the playoffs. It goes with a 10-man rotation. But, um, and you know, as you mentioned, Thibel and Korkmaz have been the main two guys on the wing pretty much all season for the most part, at least most consistently. But as far as the playoffs go, Thibel is easily the weakest link on offense, and Korkmaz is easily the weakest link link on defense. So uh, I really don't know if I trust Furkan at all. Um, Matisse, I'm a bit more optimistic about just because he's so so effective on defense. But he, even there, he he he's showing a little bit. He, he's wavered a bit the past the past few months before basketball was or weeks, pardon me, before basketball was canceled. But uh, I, I think Robinson and Burks, even though their roles were a bit, I guess, spottier during during uh, the regular season after the trade deadline, I think they probably went out just because they're veterans. They're pretty decent on both ends. They're both much better on offense, you know, all around than Furkan and Matisse. Uh, I think they're just the better players, and I, I think the Sixers are going to try to win you know, obviously it's the playoffs. So you, you put your best guys out there. And I think, I think Burks and Robinson are your best guys um, off the bench in that case. So, so I do think their minutes are going to, going to increase when the games start to count more. It really just comes down to how much you trust the younger guys, which for me is just not, not a ton at this point. Um, But, but that segues kind of nicely into our last, subcategory here on this topic is just who of these five guys whose minutes do you think are going to increase the most and whose minutes do you think are going to decrease the most i think we can probably just make this four and assume that shakes are going to increase the most mm-hmm. relative to his regular season average but but of thibault Corkmaz, robinson and burks who do you think is going to go up the most and who do you think is going to go down the most mm, that's a tough one so, and just to add on, I think we're not going to see a 10-man rotation in the playoffs. Um, Brown in the past has done a either two- or three-man rotation in the playoffs. So, that's why I really just think it's going to be one guard, one wing, and Al Horford. So, that's who I – and I already told you who I think will be the guard in this uh, big man there. Um, so, going on who's going to get the most reduced minutes – I'm going to say it's going to be Matisse. And it's nothing against Matisse. I just don't think Brown trusts rookies in big situations. We didn't see uh, – I'm sure you remember this last year. Markel Fultz was cleared to play for the playoffs, but did he? I don't remember him logging a single minute in the second round, and I don't think he logged any minutes in the first round. So I don't think – Matisse is going to get a lot of playing time during the playoffs. I mean, it might be situational, but, you know, I just don't see it happening. Uh, you know, so I don't – I think he's going to be the one that suffers the most from this short rotation. In terms of who's going to get the most minutes, I think whoever ends up being the wing. And I've already told you I think there needs to be a playoff, uh, you know, a, a tournament of sorts. And I think it's going to come down. I like I said, I don't think Matisse is going to get it just because he's a rookie, and I don't. I know Brown doesn't trust rookies, so I think at the end of the day, it's going to end up being, even though like Brown tried to get Matisse as much playing time as possible, I just don't see it happening because the shot's not there yet. So 
I think it's going to be between Forkon and Glenn Robinson. And I've already said that Robinson's the best two-way player between the, the you know the three of them. And you said he's the veteran. So I'm leaning towards Robinson. And if that's the case, Robinson, I think, gets the most money because that's the position that, you know, he can – he can play the two and the three, and you know, depending on you. So I, I like Robinson getting the most minutes there, personally. But it could be Burks as well. But I, I'm my gut's saying Robinson. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I think for me, if I had to pick one who, you know, who's just not going to play at all, if I had to scratch one off the list, my gut would lean Furk on just because he's going to get targeted consistently on defense and I don't think he's going to hold up very well whereas I think Matisse can still get you know change the game on defense even if his offense is, is a pretty glaring uh, a weak point there um, but again I do think it's important to emphasize the difference between you know regular season and postseason games whereas Shake, Matisse and Furkan are the guys who are going to be around next season and beyond Robinson and Burks are, are half-year rentals so I understand Brett kind of, you know, focusing on the younger guys uh, when the games don't matter as much. But as far as the postseason goes, Burks and Robinson are just so much more polished than, than the other two, especially Burks. Burks is, has so much value as a guy who can create off the dribble and make his own shots. That That's something the Sixers really need, and I think that's going to be huge in the playoffs. I think he could very well – rival Al Horford for minutes if they really do like commit to bringing Al off the bench like I I think Burks is really important on that front so for me I think it's Burks is going to see his minutes shoot up the most and I think Robinson's probably going to see a pretty you know healthy increase as well and it's going to be Matisse and Furkan Furkan especially who who see their minutes kind of cut off there Uh, I will say this I think if especially if uh, the Sixers match up against the Celtics in the first round, I don't see Horford playing a lot. Mm-hmm. Just based off of matchups, their the power irony. forwards. <laughs> huh? The irony. Sorry. Yeah, the irony, right? So, based off of matchups, Horford would only be able to play center against the Celtics because their power forwards are more or less wings. Yeah. So. I think in that regard, I think Horford would probably see a really small decrease. I think once – if the Sixers get to the second round, you know, regardless of where they – they'll either face either the Bucks or the Raptors most likely in the second round. That's where you can play out Horford big minutes. But in the first round, especially against – unless they really – unless they match up against, like, the Pacers, which seems unlikely, not completely impossible, but unlikely. I don't think the Celtics or the – well, maybe the Heat. The Heat might allow Horford to play, you know, defensively, but offensively I don't think he, he, they would neutralize him for the most part. But yeah. that, 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 that's what I, I think, honestly, Al's probably not going to get a lot of minutes in the first round. But beyond that, if they get beyond that, then, yeah, I think Al Brown's going to be able to play Al a lot more just based off of the fact that Toronto and – Milwaukee are going to be allow Al to play on the floor and be effective, especially defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think honestly, um, I think I don't think there's really a matchup in which Horford is, you know, quote unquote, maximized on offense. I think he's kind of just inherently, you know, 
limited by the guys on the roster in his role. So, so even, you know, Miami, Boston, not Toronto, I don't think it really matters. I think he's, he's really not going to give you much on offense at this point, at least mm-hmm. from what we've seen. He's, he's just not, he doesn't have it. Um, but I think all this Horford talk is a pretty uh, great segue into our next point, which is Al Horford. So I'll, I'll let you kind of kick that one off. So, yeah, we kind of already talked about this point where we all we both believe that Horford should be a reserve. Now, if Brown will do it, we both kind of question that. But, you know, we think that the right decision would definitely be for him to be a reserve at this point. But what do you think his role in the playoffs will be, Chris? Like, how many minutes do you anticipate him to have? And do you think these three months will really help him? Yeah, so I, I think with regard to starter versus reserve, as we, we both said, he should come off the bench, and I think he will. But I also think there's a decent chance that this becomes purely matchup dependent in terms of who Brown does and doesn't start. I, I think odds are he's going to come off the bench in the first round because, as you said, he's just not going to hold up a power forward against Boston. But, you know, if they face the Bucks in the second round or the Raptors where they're playing two bigs or where Al is, you know, guarding Giannis to start the games, you know, he could start those matchups and sit and start on the bench other matchups. It could just be a matchup-dependent thing. So I think that's a distinct possibility where whether or not he starts and, you know, as an extension of that, the amount of minutes he gets is going to just depend on who they're playing. But um, – I think another point you mentioned is Embiid is, according to Brett Brown, going to play 38 minutes a night, or roughly that, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I highly doubt they're going to keep out to just 10 minutes. So at some point, there's going to be an overlap there. What they really need to avoid, of course, is having Al, Joe, and Ben all on the court at the same time because that just doesn't mm-hmm. work. They can sort of survive with two at a time, but all three just is a mess. Uh, but it, it's really tough to say because at some point they're just going to have to bite the bullet and hope that it works because they're paying him a hundred million dollars to be, to be Al Horford. And, you know, his name is still Al Horford. Brett Brown still has a certain reverence for him because he's Al Horford. And no matter how much sense it may make to, to limit Al's minutes, he's, he's going to get playing time because of who he is and because of his reputation and, it's just up to him to, to, you know, step up and make it work, even if the fit is, as we've said dozens of times, it feels like on this podcast, just not good. So, yeah, Chris, you bring up some good points, but I, I do want to make these other points. I think you're right when you say that it's going to be matchup dependent. I think most likely we're going to see him, if he is going to start these playoffs, it's going to be in the second round. Though we'll have to wait and see on that. I think – at least in the first round, but probably averaging the first, second, you know, so on and so forth. I think we're going to see at least 24 minutes a game from, I think the cap we're going to see is the most 24 minutes a game for a Horford during the playoffs, especially in the first round. I think that's something that we have to consider. And I, I, I want to bring up something else here. You know, we we talk about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid's, you know, conditioning primarily during these three months off. But I, I want to make this point. Al Horford was not playing bad in the beginning of the season. I think we both can agree that with that. The fit wasn't perfect, 
but he was making it work. And then that injury in the beginning of December kind of threw off everything. And since he's been back, he hasn't been playing the same. He says he's not injured. I believe it was the Sixers wire with Derek Bonner and Rich Hoffman of The Athletic. They've both reported that he says his poor play has nothing to do with his injury. He's completely, you know, back to health. But it's kind of hard to not see the connection there. So I feel like personally, I, I think that, that these couple months off will really help him, especially with any lower body, body lingering effects from that injury that he had with his you know lower body. So I think that would be positive for him. So we'll have to wait and see. But I think, I think hopefully this time off will help us see the Horford that we saw in the beginning of the season where the fit wasn't perfect, but at least defensively, he wasn't a liability out on the perimeter. Yeah, I I think um, to go off your point, I think it's more of an old thing than an injury thing. I think he's just you know showing his age at this point. Um, it's unfortunate that this season in particular was kind of his breaking point. Um, and as we've said multiple times, fit is an issue as well. It's just not a good spot for him or or the people around him. But I think at this point, Horford's just old. He's, you know, a 34-year-old center who's playing largely out of position on a team that doesn't really suit his skill set. It's it's not, you know, a promising recipe, uh, you know. So I, I don't know how much, you know, three months off is going to help him. Maybe he comes back more energized. I'm sure he will. I'm sure most people will. Uh, but on that same note, I'm not sure how much difference it truly makes. So uh, we'll see, Uh, you know, the hope is that he comes back and looks more like he did the first five games of the season when Philly was five and oh, and everyone's hopes were up and, and we all thought the Sixers might, you know, run the gauntlet. But uh, at this point, I'm, I'm not really sure if, if a ton of optimism is warranted. No, and you're right that, you know, it is his age. I'm not denying that his his decline has nothing to do with his age. But I, I, I do think that the injury probably prompted that that that's, that that his age finally caught up with him, too. I think the injury didn't help with that. But you're probably right in the fact that his age is showing, and I, I tend to agree with that. But I think... We'll see what happens. Uh, I, I definitely, I think Horford's going to be one of the. And you wrote about this, uh, whether you know we like it or not, he's going to be an X factor for this team. So we'll see what happens for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think if the Sixers are going to have you know any hope of of contending for a championship, which seems like a pretty big stretch at this point, it, it's going to come down to Al not being you know a disaster. He's going to have to find ways to contribute positively in the playoffs, which, again, I, I don't see happening at this point. Um, I don't think it does, but he is still Al Horford. I've always been a fan of him, and up until this season, he was probably, you know, a top 25 player in the league. So, you know, anything could happen, you know. Uh, there's a reason he has the reputation he does. There's a reason the Sixers paid him the money they did. And somewhere deep down, you know, there there's an elite all-star level player there. But uh, all we can do is wait and see at this point. Uh, we have another month or so until we really see these guys in action again, assuming everything goes to plan. 
So, you know, we'll wait and see. Most definitely. And I think, I think that pretty much covers everything that we wanted to talk about. So I think it's that time of the podcast where Chris, you want to play us out? Indeed. Thanks again, guys, um, for listening to another episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. I know these are difficult times for a lot of people with the coronavirus still going around. And wherever you're listening from, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, or whether you're on a jog, we, we do genuinely appreciate you giving us the time out of your day to sit here and talk some Sixers basketball. It, it really does mean a lot to us. Have a good one, guys.